Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, my friends. We will be right back to the show. But I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of life coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a waitlist for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? I'm very excited for today's episode with Dr. Corey Nigro. Dr. Nigro is a clinical neuropsychologist with a specialization in doing comprehensive psychological and neuropsychological evaluations. And in this conversation, he and I have an incredible back and forth about what it really means to start to take control of your life, how to let go of the past, how to move forward, how to set goals, how to have micro wins, all through a clinical perspective. And it was an absolutely profound conversation for me, and I hope it will be for you as well. That said, before we get in, I want to share something with you. As you may know, I wrote a book called Think Unbroken, Understanding and Overcoming Childhood Trauma that you can actually get for free. All the details is or all the details are on book.thinkunbroken.com. That's book.thinkunbroken.com where you can grab a copy of my number one best-selling book, Think Unbroken. And I want to leave a review with you here before we get into today's episode that was really beautiful and I wanted to share about the book. 
um, from Cath222. From Think Unbroken, the vortex is the voice in your head that lies to you and tells you you aren't good enough, capable enough, attractive enough, talented enough, smart enough, or loved. It's a place of pure evil, and it's your fault if you stay stuck there, and it's your responsibility for getting out. Listen up. If your childhood was less than ideal, and if you find yourself in a place of hating aspects of your life or even yourself, and you feel stuck and beat yourself up mentally and emotionally, buy and read this book. It provides a roadmap for getting out of that place for someone that has been there themselves. Such a healing and helpful guide. Thank you. You help many through this book and what you have shared. To those that suffer, you are not alone. Reach out. And your life, your best life, you are worthy and you deserve it. That is from Kath. Two, two, two. Thank you so much for that review of Think Unbroken. And again, you can get Think Unbroken for free if you go to book.thinkunbroken.com. You can grab a copy of the audiobook and, and all of those things. So that said, this episode's really profound. And I think that's a very fitting quote from my conversation with Dr. Nigro, because as we go in, we're going to talk about things like excuses. We're going to talk about getting in your way. We're going to talk about setting goals and what it means to really architect the life that you want to have. And so without further ado, my friends, Dr. Corey Nigro. What's up, Unbroken Nation? Hello, my friends. I'm Michael Unbroken, host of the Think Unbroken podcast and founder of thinkunbroken.com. And I'm honored to be your trauma coach and mentor because I believe that everyone is capable of getting unstuck, cultivating self-love, and becoming the hero of their own story. I believe that when implemented correctly, the practical tools and education you will receive from this show will help you lead an unbroken and extraordinary life. I believe that no matter what we come from, that we all have the ability to choose ourselves first, to create and manifest a powerful and grace-filled future, and love the reflection in the mirror. I believe that every day is a day to grow, learn, heal, and change. That's why I started my company, thinkunbroken.com, which is an online training and healing and personal growth platform where you get everything that I know about how to get motivated, be accountable, get out of the vortex, and become the hero of your own story through community, connection, and commitment. For more information, visit thinkunbroken.com. Please listen closely as you may learn just one thing that will help you be unbroken. And please share this episode with at least three of your friends because we all need community and connection in our healing journey. And be sure to DM me and tag me on Instagram at michaelunbroken so that I can say hi. I just want to thank you again for being a part of this, for listening and being a member of the Unbroken Nation. Now, let's get into today's show and make the world unbroken. Hey, what's up, Unbroken Nation? Hope that you're doing well wherever you are in the world today. Very excited to be back with you with another episode with Dr. Corey Nigro. And he is a clinical neuropsychologist with a specialization in doing comprehensive psychological and neuropsychological evaluations. 
I am so excited for this episode, man. Corey, thank you so much, my friend. Thank you for coming on. What is going on in your world today? Uh, well, we just got out of a nor'easter, so we <laughs> uh, lost power for three days and just came back. Uh, we're staying at our best friend's house. Uh, we live in Duxbury, Massachusetts, even though I'm originally from Chicago, and people make fun of my accent. Because I'll say, get the eggs, or I broke my my leg hurts, or go on the roof of the house. So our power finally came back on. So it's been it's been an interesting few days. Well, I'm super happy that you could be here today. Um, and I know that we're going to have an amazing conversation. You know, as a fellow Midwesterner growing up in Indianapolis. Um, oh, it's a great know, it's, city. It's, uh, it's, it's a good city. Um, I think, you know, it's like anything in your life where you grow up in a place, you're kind of like, meh. Um, but then that's kind of my, my experience and my journey. You know, I, I was really curious about having you on because looking at your background and knowing the subject matter that we discuss here on Think Unbroken around really the, the ramifications of the experiences of our lives and how they inform us. Before we dive in and go deeply into context here, can you tell me a, a little bit and share your background, your history, and, and how you got to where you are today? My background is, is interesting. I was, I was um, as an undergrad, I was very interested in going to medical school to study psychiatry. And I thought that was the course I was going to take or neurology until I took my first biopsychology course. And I remember the professor, I don't remember his name, but he came down in this big lecture room with an actual brain. And, and, he, and he remember, I distinctly remember him saying, my favorite part of the brain, him, is the medulla oblongata. And at that moment, Michael, I was just hooked. And I shifted my whole career trajectory to just the science and, 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 the, and the architecture of, of the human mind from a uh, anatomical and physiological perspective, but then the whole art and science of psychology, the ability to think and conceptualize. And I have never looked back once. So I spent a lot of time uh, while I was doing my doctorate, I was in an, actually in, I was the executive director and administrator of a 192 bed inpatient psychiatric facility. So I would go to class and I would go to, I would, I would, you know, I was in charge of a multi-million dollar budget, and I was, you know, very grateful at a young age to be mentored by wonderful people. But I got to see what the textbook said, and then I got to see what it really looked like. And I was always the one in class saying, yeah, but so my mother raised us, go out in the world and question everything. Never, you know, go out and change the world. And she always told me, you beat to a different drummer. Uh, I'm completely, very, I'm very unconventional. Jeans, tattoos, leather jacket, earrings, piercings. It's just, you know, you're never going to see me in a suit and tie in my office. And so I segued into the clinical realm because I've always been fascinated. And I think there's um, trying to demystify uh, mental health, legitimize it, but destigmatize it because it doesn't have a face. It's not like uh, you have a broken arm. And you have a cast. And I can say, something must have happened to him. That doesn't mean he's broken. No. Doesn't mean he's damaged. No. But he's obviously impaired in some capacity. So my office is right above a bakery in Duxbury, Massachusetts. So if I, being a reasonable human being, I would open the door for you because I can see it. With mental health, you can't see it. And people think it's so easy to get to a place of, well, I'm having a panic attack. Uh, just take a deep breath. Not that easy. Uh, you have a history of trauma. Get over it. It's not that easy. 
and 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 there really isn't a face to mental health and that was you know my dad's encouragement before he passed away was like you like to talk and you like to educate and do stuff like once you do a podcast so I, i started the podcast and the whole part is to educate people about not what's on google or wikipedia and i don't purport to know everything in the world but i have a strong passion for what i do and i try to help as many people and i never thought the podcast would take off from talking to people from other countries and people are flying in from other parts of the country for me to test them there's a voice on the radio or whatever medium it is on, on i do it on sundays so uh that's kind of was my trajectory was you know starting off in, in 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 the pure science of medicine to moving into a world where i was able to combine an amalgamation of science and the ability to think man that that's fascinating to me and and i i agree with you wholeheartedly on so many different aspects of what you said you know i think one of the biggest uphill battles personally that i faced in my journey was coming from a background of such immense trauma and pain and then being in this position in which I would walk into these rooms and people would be like, yeah, dude, but you're like six foot four, you're covered in tattoos, you're super mm-hmm. fit. Like, like what could possibly be wrong with you? And I'm like, I don't know that anything's wrong with me, but I got this thing I need to work out and right. to better understand. And, and it was really fascinating. I'll never forget one time that I walked into um, a potential therapist's office and they were like, you know, you're, you're a big, strong guy. I don't know why you're here. And I was just like, that's exactly why I'm walking out the door right yeah, now. Very right? validating, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And so what, what I'm curious about as we start to dive into this is what do you see, or let me rephrase that. When you look at the reality of the way that it is evaluated, whether or not someone has some type of implication around mental health from a neurosciological neurosiological standpoint, um, where does that neuropsychological, excuse me, standpoint, how do you know whether or not evaluations are happening in a way that are actually beneficial to the people who are walking through uh, the doors every day? Great question. Uh, it, what, what the irony is I do two neuropsychy evals for the grace of God every day, six days a week. Um, explaining what I do for a living is, is actually difficult. Because the whole point of my job is to figure out what is wrong with somebody. Testing in and of itself is not designed to figure out what is right, what are the strengths of an individual. It is to figure out what is wrong. Because only once you can figure out what is wrong and you put a name to it, only then can you treat it from a, from a, a cognitive behavioral standpoint, from a psychopharmacological standpoint. And and so so testing, in my perspective, I, the analogy I use is I think therapy and medication without testing is akin to having surgery without an x-ray. You are chasing symptoms. You are, sim- you are chasing some s- symptoms. Just because someone says my thoughts race does not mean you have bipolar. Just because you're sad does not mean you have depression. Just because you cut does not mean you have borderline personality disorder. So through the diagnostic process, and I am overly anal when it comes to testing, most neurosignal valves like 10 to 12 pages. Mine are 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100, 150 pages, depending on the complexity of the person. But these these instruments are so sound and, and valid and reliable, and they really are able to deconstruct an individual's psychopathology, not to reduce somebody to it, but to at least be able to have the contextual picture. And, and I don't do much therapy anymore. Um, I, I treat a... a a few people, but I primarily focus on treating borderline personality disorder. But I could be seeing somebody, Michael, for two, three years in therapy. 
And there was no way without having stuff from the MMPI, the Minnesota Multiphasic Personality Inventory, the Adolescent or the Adult Version, uh, the Rorschach, the Thematic Apperception Test. There is no way I would ever know the psychological architecture of a person without having that data. That's why I'm such a strong advocate of, in our, even Julie, who's ventured into private practice with me, my wife, uh, we, we firmly believe that you need testing first. Because I get several hours with a person and tons of data. A lot of therapists and prescribers, and no one's doing anything wrong. You get that first session. I mean, you probably have experienced it, and they have to come up with a preliminary diagnosis. The problem is that diagnosis never goes unchecked. So the people that walk through my door either overdiagnosed, misdiagnosed, or underdiagnosed. And this, these are the tools. Like, if you want to know, again, it, the, the, the irony is I'm figuring out what's wrong with you, but the whole thing is instilling a sense of hope. Whatever you have is what you have. It is not what you are. So that's yeah. a huge, you know, and, and, and doing the feedback sessions, that's, that's one of the hardest things I do, whether it's with an individual or uh, parents with a, you know, biological parents, foster parents, whatever, is when they, they sit across to me, you know, a few weeks after doing the eval, my whole job to tell you or, or you as a parent what's wrong, not what's right. And that's something I very empathic about, but I respect the integrity of the diagnostic label. We, not, not to label people, but you know, I try to draw parity. It's like, I have high, high blood pressure. It's something I have, it's something you are. If you have bipolar, it's something you have, it's something you are. Don't define yourself by your trauma. You know, people are, in one of the episodes I did on, on my podcast was about resiliency. People are incredibly resilient. They don't just, they don't realize it. And the world pushes people down. And we have like, you know, confirmation bias where we seek to, I think, I don't, I don't know what the term is. I'm sure if I, you might share the same idea, but I know if I, I took a piece of paper out and I drew a line down the center, left side, all my good qualities, right side, my bad, I could do the right side a lot faster and probably be a lot longer. So I think we have this fundamental tendency to confirm the negative things that we look about themselves. And I know in my work with people, individuals with trauma, it's a huge burden that they carry. All those negative voices and all the things they've been told. Yeah, and, and I'm right there with you. And one of the things that I often come to, and I'd actually love your, your thoughts on this in real time. It's something I've been processing and trying to work through, creating a foundational understanding around for probably about the last year and a half. And I think that, and, and this is a, a, an assumption, maybe even more of a hypothesis, in that I believe part of the reason why people get stuck comes from this place where through traumatic experiences, because it becomes a, an autonomic response, we learn how to turn ourselves off, i.e., we no longer follow our gut and our intuition because every time we have, there's a ramification on the backside, which then leads to this place in which showing up for ourselves, right? Living life on our terms, mm -hmm. getting unstuck is negatively reinforced by this idea that the fear in front of us, when we have to cross that threshold to go and do the thing that we firmly believe we're capable of doing has already been negatively reinforced to a to an extent in which the idea of moving towards being who we are is so terrifying that it's paralyzing. Absolutely. And I think people don't realize that they have the right and the, they have the right and the ability to reinvent themselves. We can't, I mean, the past, 
the beauty of the past is painful as it is. I think kind of go more in an existential perspective. It remains in the ether of time. And there's, and, and I'm going to use a metaphor by, by Wayne Dyer that I, I, something I really believe is, is an amazing metaphor. Uh, again, being from the Midwest, this may sound ironic. I grew up in the city, but uh, he talks about a, a boat. And <clears throat> when the boat goes through the water, it creates a wake. And once the wake is created, nothing by the laws of nature or physics can anything happen to change the wake. And people who have a past, I think, whatever it is, whether it's trauma or any negative experiences, people uh, look at the back of the boat. Some people will get a, a six pack and stand on the back of the boat. Others will get a lawn chair and lay in the back. And other people will splash the water on their face. And the whole point is who's driving the other side? You know, there's a reason that the rear view mirror is smaller than the windshield. It, we, it's, not, it's not saying the past isn't there, not to deny it, but to appreciate it, but realizing that you can't overcome it. That you, 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 you know, I, 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 like, I love your analogy of, of being a warrior. And so, I mean, a huge part of, of at least my perspective of psychotherapy is empowerment. You know, you can change your thoughts. You change your thoughts, your behaviors will change. You know what? If your, behavior, your thoughts and your behaviors change, your emotions change. And you can, again, you can't, we can't undo the things that have been done. But we can either come to peace with it. Some people can take on a victim role, you know, the learn helplessness model. Um, so it, it's really, I think, where somebody's at and what they want to do with it. Hey, Unbroken Nation, quick pause in today's episode to tell you about the brand new Think Unbroken app. That's right. I just released a brand new app in the App Store that you can take the first course in the Think Unbroken curriculum, the five keys to healing trauma. It's a seven day course for free. All you have to do is go into your app store right now. You can pause this video and search Think Unbroken. That's on both Apple and Android. And you can take the Think Unbroken Five Keys to Healing Trauma seven-day course for free. This is daily coaching from me. It's daily activities, daily check-ins. I built this course in this app specifically to bring huge value to you in your life, where you're at, and what you're trying to do, and going next and becoming the hero of your own story. So check out the App Store again, Apple and Android. Just simply search Think Unbroken, and you will see the Think Unbroken app. And until next time, my friend, be unbroken. Yeah, and I'd actually love to dive into that concept around the victim role a little bit more. And the reason why is because, you know, growing up, I think that we operate entirely on learned experience, right? Mm -hmm. We take our environment in, we understand it, we assess it, we take what we need, we throw out what we don't. Especially but there's little things. There's little things that I think sit in us, right, in passing, stuff that most people would never notice, but we carry forever. Great example, i.e., Growing up, I, I always heard a lot of blame happening in my life, right? My mother would blame somebody. My grandmother would blame someone. My stepfather would blame someone. Everyone's always blaming everyone else for what's happening in their life. That seed got planted in me. Look at my life and what I will call my rock bottom being in this position where I blamed everyone mm -hmm. until I 
didn't. And so one of the things I'm constantly thinking about is, A, is there a way to mitigate the risk of someone hitting rock bottom via having this victim mentality? And then B, what can we do to reinforce the idea that we are actually capable of becoming the hero of our own story? Well, the, I remember being in my doctoral program and being asked this question. What is the, there's one reason why people change. Of course, I blurred out an answer because they want to. And I remember the press saying, no. I'm like, it's the most logical answer. Other students, because they have to, no. Because they need to, no. Well, their spouse telling them to, no. Like, all right, what, 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 what are we missing here? Um, and when he said the answer, it made perfect sense. So the only reason people change is when they're uncomfortable. So think about adjusting yourself in the chair where you go from a state of perceived discomfort to a state of perceived comfort. So from a psychological, psychiatric perspective, until somebody gets to a place where they say, I'm tired of thinking, feeling, and acting that way, this way, that is, you, you people will not change. So I think if somebody maintains that victim role, sometimes we call them help rejectors. You know, you tell the same story over and over again, you become uh, comfortable in your dysfunction and because it's familiar. You look at people who stay in abusive relationships or why it makes sense why you go from one to the other because it's familiar, it's what I know. But then somebody comes along and I'm loving and they're caring, it's like, hey, I don't deserve that or this is gonna leave, I'm gonna push you away. So it, make, it makes sense. So it's not, you, can, you know, I, I'm looking at it from more from a clinical perspective. I think people can look from like this a social perspective, like what, what's that person doing? But it makes perfect sense. If that's all you know, that's what you're going to act. So I use the analogy of the crayon. If you teach a child, you take the Crayola crayon, you, you tell them, pull the red one out and say, that's black. And child, and the child is never told anything differently. When they go to school, in preschool, kindergarten, the teacher says, pull out the black crayon, they pull out the red one. And the student, the child's like, what are you talking about? Because the knowledge was never contradicted. And that, that's what per perpetuates our belief systems. They don't go unchallenged. And not everybody wants that. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's one of the biggest things that I've come to discover in not only my own personal work, but in, in what I've done in building Think Unbroken is recognizing something really fascinating. Like you've got to be willing to face discomfort in ways that I can't even begin to describe. Because when I look at my life now, 11 years removed, and so many of my clients, when getting into programs, having conversations, listening to podcasts like this, it is that place of being having the willingness to acknowledge like, yo, if I don't do something incredibly yeah. hard, nothing's going to be the difference. Nothing's going to be the difference. Everything's going to stay the same. So one of the things I'm really curious about, though, again, because I'm really trying to narrow into this idea about mitigating the risk of that rock bottom. Is there a way to create change sans that experience? Like, is there anything that we can possibly do to help? propel people into discomfort at a pace in which alleviates the possibility that they're going to end up in this place where their life is fucking destroyed. So you're talking about getting somebody to rock bottom. I'm talking about the avoidance of it. Like, because I think that, so from a behavioral standpoint, my life, I just watched myself in passing, do things that slowly took away 
and and destroyed everything that I'd spent all this time effort building. And it wasn't until I was in this position where I was looking at my life and I said, enough, get your shit together. That thing started to change. Mm -hmm. And what I'm trying to find out, and I ask people this all the time, and the answer simply may be like, it's not a possibility. No, I think, I think, you know, we could probably circumvent having to get to rock bottom. I think if you have increased support systems, you're getting the person into some form of treatment sooner. Not everybody has, has to hit rock bottom before they can begin to change. I think I think it's a, a misconception in, in all psychiatric conditions. The goal is to really prevent that, you know, because that rock bottom is really bad. And that's where you can worry about it. Start to get suicidal ideations, self-injurious behaviors, substance abuse, one, two, all three of them. But the earlier that people can recognize, and I think, you know, hopefully what we're doing is educating people on the early warning signs of mental health. That if you can, you can triage it, I believe, absolutely believe the sooner, you, the sooner you can identify it, the sooner you can mitigate the severity and the intensity of it. So I do not believe you have to hit rock bottom to begin treatment or to get well. So what, let, let's dive in a little bit here further, because I do want people to have something incredibly practical from this. What are the signs that someone should be looking at that are happening in their life where they need to contemplate the idea that they need help? From a trauma perspective or just in general? Across the board. I think they need to recognize... Uh, <clears throat> I like the analogy of the mirrors. We love the carnival mirrors. We can stand in front of those for hours. They make us look fat. They make us look skinny. They make us look tall. They make us look round. We, we, get, we stand in front of them. You know, Julie and I, we have mirrors all over the house. Do we use them? No, I use them to shave, brush my teeth, do my hair. What you have to do is look in the actual mirror and confront yourself and have an honest conversation with yourself and say, am I happy? Am I sad? Am I angry? Do I have issues? It's really, you know, in, in this Amazon society, we do not stop and look. That is what is a necessary ingredient. To, uh, you know, Shakespeare said it, where the world's a stage and all we are is actors. We play multiple different roles. The goal is to actually stop and look and have an honest conversation with yourself. I'm not saying I do it all the time. I'm not, I mean, I don't think any of us do, but you know, when we, when we get to those points and we do do that, you're not going to always like what you see and that's okay. But enough with the BS and the excuses. That's where the irrational beliefs come in. That's where the cognitive distortions come in. Because what we have to do at night is we have to distort reality in order to put our head on the pillow. That's how we get through the day. But it's, it's having an honest conversation, that honest dialogue and, and reducing the shame associated with it. You know, no one has to be the hero. Though I, mean, I think I learned out, and I think it was during a public health survey, uh, when they asked me a question, I said, I, I don't know. And I, up until that point, I thought I had to know everything. And it was, I was in my early mid twenties and since it was the most liberating thing in the world. And it's sometimes patient things like, I don't know, but I'll find out. I'll go to my books or I'll, I'll go to the person who knows. And that was one of the most liberating things for me, not to carry yeah. that burden of having to know everything. 
Yeah, yeah and I, I, I think it's impossible because then you're holding yourself against this ideal that is just unfathomable. Like yeah. it's just never going to happen. And I love what you said about the mirror because it, it brought me back to my experience. The the very, like to a T, man, the very moment that pulled me and projected me to where I am today, a decade plus removed, I went and I stood in the mirror and I asked myself pointedly, what are you willing to do to have the life that you want to have? And the response was no excuses, just results. And it really became this incredible precursor for everything mm -hmm. that was next. And in that, one of the things that I discovered was like looking at yourself in the mirror while simultaneously the most uncomfortable thing ever is the most empowering thing to create Absolutely. change in your it's, life. It's ironic, isn't it? It that, is. That, that's where that discomfort comes in. But I think that's that's the necessary ingredient. And, and, and also I think getting to being in a place where not being intrapunitive and blaming yourself, not being, you know, externalizing, just being honest. Like what's, what's the picture? What, what, what's going on? What do I need to work on? You know, independent of what the name is, just be, have that honest conversation with ourselves. Doesn't mean you're like, we're going to like what we see. And you have to be aware of like, how much BS are we using? That's what get, that's what justifies our behavior. In those acknowledgements, I'm really curious about this. So in those acknowledgements where you're looking at your life and you're going, this isn't what I want. This is not what I desire. I know that I'm taking all these steps to probably sabotage. Maybe you don't have that word, but you know, you're looking at your life. I'm destroying my life. It's destructive. What does one do in those moments so that what they have the ability to understand is like, they don't have to beat themselves up. Cause I think by default, it's just, almost human nature to do that. So, mm -hmm. so what can you do to, to remove yourself from that? Get into therapy, start, start exploring different options. I mean, there are, I mean, mental health is much more accessible. It's, 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 everybody's talking about it. it. It doesn't have the same stigma as it did, you know, working like doing like a structured diagnostic clinical interview and trying to get a family history with maybe somebody in like their sixties or seventies. You know, they didn't talk, you know, they hid crazy Uncle Harry in the closet or they were ashamed of family members. They, you know, grandpa, well, he was an alcoholic. He just drank a lot. So they didn't put those labels on it. But I think, you know, the availability of resources for mental health, especially in the world of telehealth, there's really no excuse not to do something. You lose your, you, you, I tell people you get to complain once. If you complain the second time and you do nothing about it, I don't want to hear it. Doesn't mean you have to fix it. But you need to do something. But that's a hard pill to swallow, man, because people are going to look at that and go, well, you don't understand my life. You don't know me. I'm not even saying you have to act, have to remove it, but just acknowledge it and, and celebrate the partial victories. Don't worry about the end result, but just being able to just, just almost like emotional vomiting, just, just, just being cathartic of like, okay, I know I need to work on this. I don't know what to do. Just getting that out on the table, I think is very liberating. And don't worry how fast you get there. Just, just, you know, put it out there and trust the process. Yeah. And I think that's a, a huge part of it. Trusting the process and trusting the people that you are in trust, giving them trust too. You know, I, I think mm -hmm. the, one of the most interesting things that I had to reconcile was understanding like the world actually is not out to get me. Right. And that was a really hard understanding that I had, but that only came through 
in part the scope of EMDR and CBT and NLP and things like that, uh, I would love for you to talk about the benefits and, and why cognitive behavioral psychotherapy has such an important role that can be played in someone's journey. Oh, my God. The research has been consistent over the years that, that cognitive behavioral therapy, uh, psychotropic medications, the two converging together have the most uh, efficacy in the treatment of the vast majority of psychiatric conditions. And I'm not talking necessarily about the neurodegenerative disorders like Parkinson's and Alzheimer's, but uh, the cognitive therapy is such a powerful modality. It was really pre rationally motor therapy by Albert Ellis was kind of the precursor. And you can go on YouTube and type in Albert Ellis's songs and talk about someone who was confrontational. Uh, he, I think he did like the song about, uh, to the tune of Yankee Doodle Dandy about major depressive disorder, about how depressive people just whine all the time. Um, the advent of cognitive therapy and, you know, Julie and I disagree very much on, uh, she believes in CBT, but in the, I, I have a different perspective when it comes to certain disorders, but, uh, cognitive therapy is, is called cognitive behavioral therapy, not cognitive behavioral, behavioral, emotional therapy. Emotions really have no place in CBT. You look at the cognitive triad. It's if you change your thoughts, your behaviors will change. If your behaviors change, your emotions will change. That is the major tenet of cognitive therapy. It does not focus on emotions. You change your thought patterns. The thought patterns and the behaviors will change. And again, motions are just the byproduct, but it is such a powerful therapeutic tool in the treatment, again, of the vast majority of psychiatric conditions. For the sake of context, for those who do not understand what you're talking about or what CBT is, um, can you dive into that and just kind of give us an overview? Of cognitive therapy? Yes. So cognitive therapy is really looking at... Um, <clears throat> First, initially identifying one, what is what are the what are the issues? Is it depression? Is it anxiety? What, whatever clinical picture it is, uh, the goal is to really look at the cognitive patterns or what are called mistaken assumptions or rational beliefs. Uh, I'm undesirable. Uh, nobody likes me. Everybody hates me. All my teachers are out to get me. I'll never get married. These, these, it's, it's very like dichotomous thinking. You're trying to, so you're identifying the maladaptive thought patterns that are perpetuating the resultant behaviors and symptoms. And then through a process called cognitive restructuring, you really kind of say, okay. So the analogy I use is I used to do this until I, you know, I would give people these yellow tinted sunglasses until I found I was going to sunglass hut like every three weeks and stocking up on them. And I would, you know, say, I'd give you a pair of yellow tinted glasses and look out the window, assuming it's a blue sky. What color is it? And generally people would say yellow or green. And I say, no, it's blue. Cognitive therapy, the analogy, another one I use, if someone has glasses on, I would go over to them and I would slowly take their glasses off and I'm going to redo your prescription and I'm going to put a new prescription back on. So you see yourself, you see other people, and you see the world differently. And as a result, you're going to act differently and you're going to feel differently. What is Hopefully the structure that. within that that makes it so efficable? What's that? 
What is the structure within the, the behavioral therapy that makes it so efficable? Um, the utilization of goals. Can you know the smart model? Simple, measurable, attainable, realistic, time-oriented. So, what is the goal? What is the goal for the week? What is the goal for the month? What is the goal for three months? I think a lot of people focus so much. Um, if you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So, you know, the goal of really cognitive therapy is is very different, than like psychoanalysis and, and stuff like that. But it, it's the homework. And I always tell people, therapy does not take place in the office. It takes place in between the sessions and to celebrate the partial victory. So if we're working on reducing self-injurious behavior, say you cut 40 times a week. If you cut 39, that is success and celebrate that. Don't worry about the other 39. Celebrate the one you didn't cut. That's progress. The whole goal is to encourage the progress. And once you kind of get that anchor of like, hmm, I think this thing is working. It almost takes on a life and energy and fuel of its own. But it's really encouraging people that don't worry about the, the end result. You'll, you'll get there. It takes time. But, but appreciate the work you're doing now. That's what I was saying. Like, you know, it's like you can play it once, but don't play it. It's like if you keep playing, but you do nothing about it, how am I supposed to help you? Did you know that recent studies show that CBD has incredible benefits for helping with physical pain? I have and suffer from chronic pain, I've mentioned it before, and with NW Recovery's Lavender Eucalyptus Salve, I have that pain dissipate like nothing else I've ever tried. I love NW Recovery not only because their products are non-psychoactive, which is really important to me, but also because they are created by Navy SEALs. So. Thank you so much for your service. If you're interested and you want to learn more about NW Recovery's CBD balm of lavender eucalyptus, then check out nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your first order. Again, that's nw-recovery.com and use the keyword unbroken to save 20% on your order. How is this, this modality supposed to help you? And there's some people that just, they, that's just what they want to do, but it's, it's the incremental changes and building on, on the continuous successes, the little victories. I think people are like, I can take credit for that. Yeah, that's you. That's not me. You're the one choosing that. You know, I'm just, I, I, I use like, say I'm like a GPS. Let's put in like, what's, what, what is the end result? And just like a GPS, it'll give us the route. And if we run into a roadblock and it's not working, we'll recalculate. And I'll be with you every step of the way, but I cannot and I will not drive the car. It's powerful. And, and I, I always tell people, like, life is about the micro wins. I mean, if you got out of bed today and you showered, like, that might be a fucking yeah. huge victory yeah. for you. Absolutely. Like, own it. Own it. And own it and, because and not only does it reinforce... Go ahead, please. No, I was saying, and celebrate it. You know, give yourself credit, not not not, not this intrapunitive style. Like, well, I only showered once this week. That's awesome, because you weren't doing it before. That's your behavioral change. Feel it's like I can feel good about that. Yes, you have permission to feel good about changes you're making, and people don't realize that. How do you? So, in the scope of this, because I love this conversation. Yes, 
And how do you deal with once you have started to create momentum and you have a fallback or a misstep or you do that thing you said you weren't going to do anymore? Like, how do you continue to move forward instead of that roadblock being what ultimately causes you to just go back down to zero? It's, it's, it's really, I mean, it, 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 I, at least from my experience, the longer, you, the more established your relationship is with a person, you have a better, I think, a higher success rate to um, navigate those relapses. You're certainly not going to blame, certainly not going to, you know, be, be punitive, but, you know, I always look at X causes Y. I, I, I can't stand the word trigger because I think it's used so so much i wish we just so overused even though it's, it's a relevant term but i think the key is is to help the person not to go to the dark place not not to, not to blame themselves up but then to let's take a look at what caused that because x causes y so if x is if y is the relapse what's the x so then we can start to navigate take take an alcoholic for example um why did you you know you're early in recovery what happened this week that you um, you went into the bar and had a drink. Uh, what was different? Well, there was a roadblock and I had to take a different way home and I drove past the bar, which you've been avoiding for the last six months, doing a really good job at it, but out of convenience, uh, for whatever circumstances, construction, you navigated past the bar and you went in. So let's make sure we don't take those routes again. So something kind of along those ways, but not, not to blame, but to really kind of figure out what, again, what are those X's? Cause the X causes we know what the Y, the Y is, that's what we're working on. But what are the things that are, you know, initiating that or putting you down that path? Yeah. I, 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 I so subscribe to that. Like I think about that all the time. And, and so in that, like looking at causation and correlation and trying to figure out, you know, how to really step into this place in life where, where you're taking control over your future, you're working through, you know, whether you have the, the right team or the right building blocks and doing the things every single day, what role, and I know people are going to hear this like what, but what role does hope play in this journey hope is a huge part because mental health and i think when i when i said this michael on, on one of the episodes i did on borderline personality disorder i said borderline personality disorder is not only treatable it is curable and it was at that point where i, I you know because i give my cell phone number out on the podcast i i give my e email out it was when i said that that i just got inundated with just and I talk to everybody. They call me and they're like, I can't believe you actually respond, return my call or my text or whatever. But hope is a huge part of mental health and a huge reason I do what I do for a living, even though my job is to figure out what's wrong with people. Uh, but it, again, taking out the neurodegenerative disorders because those are degenerative in nature. But you, the human spirit is incredibly resilient and, and, and powerful, uh, whether it's through music, through God, through, through spirituality, through, through the arts, uh, through science, through, through fiction, nonfiction, whatever, whatever you can grasp onto, whatever you can lay claim to, you, the human spirit can overcome things. You can overcome depression. You can overcome bipolarity. Now you may always, now bipolar is a neurochemical disorder. So yes, you may need to be on a medication, but you can also that you, in psychotherapy, but you can mute the intensity of that and the rapid cycling of it. You can do the same with schizophrenia, with all the psychiatric disorders. 
hope is a huge part of, of what I try to get across in, 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 again, doing diagnostics. But it's an incredibly important message, I think, because most people do not believe they, they think that this is my life is relegated to this. This is how I'm always going to be. I'm never going to be happy. I'm never going to get married. I'm never going to get rid of the trauma. I'm never going to stop drug abuse. I'm never going to stop that. And it, it, that, I think people really, really suffer. And, you know, you look at it, uh, I think one of the episodes Julie did is many psychiatric disorders, uh, are, it, it's neurotransmission. These are, they're, they're chemical things, you know, and even trauma affects the brain, the brain chemistry. So it's, um, I think hope is, is really important. Not hope like in a fluffy, like, oh, everything is great. And, you know, we're not going to deny the reality, but, you know, I'm a huge advocate of people, you know, who do the work. And if you do the work, you get the results. It's like someone says, I want to go to the gym. All right, three. what do you want to do? Well, I want to lose 20 pounds. Perfect. How often are you working out? Well, I go five minutes every Monday. Okay, reasonable goal, but the effort isn't going to get you to the place you want to be. But I think, you know, giving people not a false sense of hope, like, oh, you're going to, you're not going to be depressed in two months. You're going to get eight sessions of therapy, you fine. No, but hope in the sense that not only can you, you overcome things, you could be, you could rid yourself of things. It doesn't mean we can, you know, again, like I said, the past is in the ether. It's there. We can't deny it. But people are incredibly resilient. And I don't think they, they realize it, especially, you know, because like depression, you know, this time of year is tough for a lot of people. So, yeah, hope, I think, and you know, I think you would probably, in terms of just what I've read about you, I think hope is a huge thing that you try to instill in people as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think part of also what I try to instill in people is, is a little bit of like, you got to be stubborn. You got to be willing to fucking step into the arena on this because oh, I tell people you got to be selfish. If you want to be in therapy, you have to be willing to be appropriately selfish, not self-centered where you negate your family or you neglect your responsibilities, but selfish say, I'm going to put myself first. You know, I'm going to do the workbooks. I'm going to do my guided meditation, I'm, but I'm still going to go to work and I'm going to take care of my family responsibilities, but I'm going to, this is about me. And I have a right to do this. I have every right to make myself well. You do. And and I think about this every single day because I've, I have seen the worst of humanity. I have seen the best of humanity. And, and I sit here in this position where I go, the reality is that it takes as much effort to destroy your life as it does to build your life into what you want it to be. And mm -hmm. living on your own terms, regardless of trauma, traumatic experiences, diagnosis, misdiagnosis, whatever it may be, is entirely in alignment with the choices and the decisions you make every single day to move towards being the person that you choose that you want to be. Absolutely. We have, we are the architect of our lives. And that's again, the beauty of the human spirit, uh, independent of what, first you need to know what you have. And that's again, why I focus so much on diagnostics, but once you know that, then you know, then, then Julie knows what, what meds to put you on. And then from a therapy perspective, then we know what we're treating. And all the details and the, you know, that, that, that really kind of fill out that crystallize that picture. But, you know, you do not have to live that life that you do not want. And you have, you have a right to not live that life. Yeah. And you, know? you deserve to, but you're going to have to earn it. And that's the reality. Yeah. You're going to have to earn it. it, it Dr. It, Nagro, it, this conversation, my friend, has been 
absolutely incredible, man. I, I feel like we're going to have to have you back. I want to go deeper into the biological parts of all of this. Sure. Um, so we'll have to have you back. But until then, can you tell everyone where they can find you? Uh, you can find me. Uh, my podcast, is, which is Psychology Unplugged. Uh, you can email me at uh, through Psychology Today. You can call or text me. My cell phone is 617-750-9411, Eastern Standard Time in Massachusetts. Happy to talk with you guys. It's my passion. It's what we do. Uh, it's a collective journey. So I appreciate the opportunity, Michael. Yeah, and I appreciate you being here. And my last question. Coming up pretty soon. Yeah, absolutely. I'm very excited. My last question for you today, though, is... What does it mean to you to be unbroken? To be unbroken is to be able to live with your scars. That we all have scars. We all have cracks. It's okay. Don't define yourself by them. Recognize them. They're reminders. But being unbroken is reclaiming yourself. Good, bad, right, wrong, and different. Brilliantly said, my friend. Dr. Negro, thank you so much for being here. Unbroken Nation, thank you so much for listening. Please like, subscribe, comment, tell a friend. And until next time, my friends, be unbroken. I'll see ya. Unbroken Nation, hope that you just got a tremendous amount of value from today's episode. I want to know what you think. Please do me a favor and review rate and share the episode with three friends on social media today. It would mean the world if you did, because ultimately at the end of the day, creating community and connection is how we heal generational trauma in the world. And I need your help to do that Unbroken Nation. So if you're on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you are, please like, comment, share, review. I want to know not only what you like about the show, but how I can make the show better, how I can make this further about helping you on your healing journey. So do me a favor. And when you do shoot me a screenshot of you making the review to my DM at Michael Unbroken on Instagram so that I can have a conversation with you, say hi, and more importantly, so I can share it with the Unbroken Nation. Thank you so much, my friend. Hey, my friends, we will be right back to the show, but I have a question for you. Are you struggling with the impact of childhood trauma? Well, know that you're not alone. I'm here to let you know that I'm starting a brand new weekly coaching group that includes a year of live coaching, accountability, support, habit and goal setting, and more. I'm starting a wait list for the group right now, and I'm only taking a handful of people. And I'll let you know that through this personalized coaching, we'll work together to help you understand how your childhood trauma has shaped your beliefs, behaviors, emotions, and will help you create a roadmap for healing and growth. Right now, you can schedule an absolutely free coaching session with me and get put on the wait list if you go to thinkunbroken.com. My friends, it's your time to turn your trauma into triumph, breakdowns into breakthroughs, and become the hero of your own story. And I'm here to support you in doing that. Just go to thinkunbroken.com to register for a free coaching call with me and to get put on the wait list for the brand new weekly coaching program. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. 
Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.